And hello, hello. Welcome back to Edric Poon and Company, the podcast where anybody can inspire everybody. I'm Edric, your host, and joining us this week is Mr. John Gordon, the founder of Expat Choice. Now, Expat Choice is an engagement platform that offers expats rewards through engagement in over a hundred cities in Asia, Australia, and Africa. So John's been a musical director for the Australian Theatre for Young People. He's done sales and advertising. He's been a managing editor for Singapore Press Holding and he's even done marketing and communications. Is there anything this man has not done? Now, he runs Expat Choice and he's joining the Epic Podcast this week to share his wealth of experience with us and show me the ropes about how community engagement really begins and continues and evolves. So, off to the podcast we go. Hey, hi John. Hello, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Yeah, good. Busy. Busy as always. That's a good problem to have, isn't it? Especially in this bloody climate. Well, it is. It really is. And I just find that I'm probably more busy these days. That's fantastic. I mean, with the platform that you have, I'm assuming that everybody in your community is probably going back and using a platform even more because, um, you know, they're stuck at home. They need more recommendations. The only challenge now is the F&B side, right? How do you, you can't do much dine-in at this point in time, but I'm sure that many of them are sharing a lot more in terms of the menus for takeout, so on and so forth. Yeah, and absolutely. And, and all we need to do and, and what we need to embrace is that we need to support local. And, you know, yeah, 12 months ago or 18 months ago, we might have been making a clip off uh, sort of advertising or, um, uh, you know, distributing the content. But now it's like it's a, it really is let's support local. You know, there's a lot of um, gratitude from the business owners. Um, it's, a, it's a feel-good thing as well. I mean, a business, you know, still needs to make some money. And, and thank goodness we have some very strong partners in other segments other than F&B, which is a blessing. <laughs> That's really great to hear. I mean, at the end of the day, as long as everybody is happy, everybody is safe, I think that's really, really important. Now, on your end, uh, in the introduction, I was just saying that you've, you've been a musical director, you're a producer, you're a managing editor, you're a sales and advertising person. Basically, you've done it all. You've done everything and every facet of the business. And eventually, you started your own consultancies. And you've also, um, you know, now, of course, Expat Choice is your baby, right? So it is. <laughs> yeah. So in this case, right, uh, it's an amazing thing in order for us to f- kind of follow that. Uh, where you are right now, maybe you could share your stories, right, of how you actually turned from music all the way to becoming a community engagement platform owner. I don't even know what it is or how to term it. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, first of all, um, just to put everything into perspective, I am 57 years old, so I'm not 37 years no. old. I am, I'm 57. I don't know what's going on. I think it's this healthy sort of Singapore climate that just sort of opens the pores or something like that, but... Yeah, I'm 57, and um, going backwards, um, I think it's important to note that the age of 35, after a really strong and deep and committed career in music composition and youth music, um, I decided that I, I wanted to see change. And it's not when I moved to Singapore. It was 10 years before I moved to Singapore. And so after my music career... 
which I'll touch on and the importance of dedication, commitment and those 10,000 hours of perfecting something so that you know you can do it without thinking, which is all about learning piano, learning conducting, being a composer. If it's 10,000 hours, it's 100,000 hours. So, you know, I, I really, you know, managed to walk the boards I needed to walk in my music career, but I just felt I needed a sea change. I, I wanted to do something and I didn't know. And it was such a big decision at the age of 35 when, when the Sydney Conservatorium, whom I was lecturing for, came back to me and said, right, so, uh, you know, here's the contract for the next 12 months. And it's like, do I really want to do this again? Like after nine years of teaching theory and musicianship and, and vocal training and not vocal training or, or oral training, you know, understanding one five five one six five one seven eight, you know, all this sort of stuff, but being aware of what the music is that we're listening to and being able to interpret it. Um, I just got to the point, I don't think I can do this anymore. I mean, I was teaching piano to about 20 students ranging from very young, talented children to um, adults that were very keen. Um, but, you know, some weeks would be like, oh, I just don't feel like teaching this week. I think I'll just cancel everything this week and I'll cancel all my students. I think, what am I doing? There's something wrong here. There's a disconnect. So when the conservatorium came back to me at the age of 35 and said, here's your contract, next 12 months, I said, no, I'm... I'm not, but it was exactly aligned at the same time that someone in my life, a very dear friend of mine, Megan, she said, why, why don't you try sales? You've got such a great personality. You could sell ice to Eskimos. I'm like, really? Like, I've never thought about that. And she's like, well, face it, John, you've been selling yourself all your life. You've been going for grants with the Australian you know, Council for the Arts. You've you, you raised $100,000 to put on your own opera with an orchestra and with singers and with dancers at NIDA Theatre in Sydney. You produced a musical for the Singapore Olympics called Beyond the Game on, in, in, in collaboration with the Australian Theatre for Young People, the, the, the Australian Youth Orchestra, the Australian Youth Choir. I mean, it was massive days. I mean, we performed at the, um, we as a, as a group, performed at, you know, like one of the, the, the rugby grand finals and it was broadcast globally. And in these days, it was so, where, where are we today? Oh, we've got to be at, you know, at, at the Oval and we've got to do rehearsals and we're, you know, beaming globally at 2 o'clock. Oh, okay. And then what's after that? It, it, was, it, was, such a, it was such a great time. Um, but it was, it, was, it was a time and it was time for me to move on. So, so one thing led to another and I, I left my music career, which was great, and I still play and I still communicate musically um, and I, I was offered a role like a really interesting role um, in, in sales at Yellow Pages in Australia and this was like just when the internet like it was 1995 or something and 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 the internet was like oh you know well I mean who's going to buy anything on the internet you know like <laughs> it, it really was it really was a bit like that I remember when I got my first text message from a friend and I said oh come on you know why don't we just ring ourselves you know what's this text so, um, so I was offered this role and in, in the first year in this role, um, the most amazing thing, which will hark back in our conversation, is, is about training, about those 10,000 hours. The one thing that Yellow Pages did in Australia was they gave you like seven weeks induction. You know, it was like psychological selling and emotional selling and your EQ and, 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 and um, 
you know, your, your IQ and, and then sales techniques and formulas by which you could sell to lead someone to buy from you. And it was like, this is as complex as reading a musical score. You know, because there were all these processes. You couldn't just randomly sell. I mean, there was a whole process. You take them on the journey. You understand about their business, about the economy, about the commercialism of their business, about their advertising, about their competitors. Then the X factor, put it all together. It takes a very special sort of mind, I think. Not saying I'm special, but they chose me for this role, but with other musicians and actors who were employed at the same time and taken through induction because they looked at the musical mind, they looked at the actor's mind as being very analytical, being very committed, having also understood what it is about long periods of time of dedication. Sitting at a piano at the age of eight, playing for six hours a day, that's dedication. But it's also an incredible year. So going into sales, I did it for I did nine years or nearly 10 years before coming to Singapore. And, and um, I, I had an amazing ride. And, and what, I, what I got out of those 10 years was travel, financial security, you know, great memories. Um, you know, being in the top 1% of sales with Yellow Pages in Australia meant that every year you were sent somewhere around the world as a, as a thank you, I suppose, for the amount of, huge amount of money we made for Yellow Pages in those days. And so I went to Paris and I went to New York and I went to Cancun and I went to South Africa and, and Cape Town and, you know, like, I, and the list goes on. And it was an amazing period of my life. And then it was like, wow, you know, I learned so much about advertising. And, and then I went from print into, into digital, then from digital into mobile. I was like the first salesperson in Australia to sell a mobile advertising solution to Avis Rent-A-Car. Wow. So it was, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was like, you know, what we were selling was position, you know. So you were trying to say, well, if you don't buy it now, someone else is going to buy it. One of your competitors is going to buy it. So it's like, you know, the fear of missing out, like, you know, FOMO. So, mm. you know, it's not a it's suggestive selling, but it was the most probably poignant um, purchase that that brand in Australia did in like 2000 and let's say five. And, and, you know, it, it was six figures and it was close to, a, you know, it was very high amount of money for no return because nobody was using the mobile environment to um, book a car. Mm. But, of course, they do now. And if you're in Australia and you go car hire, you know who's at the top. And I'm glad because I sold that. I feel proud of that, you know. But, you know, then we move on. Um into you know the age of 45 all right so it's it's like we're already at 45 mm. and that was 12 years ago so so much happens so much can happen and when i came to singapore i worked for yellow pages here and i i taught them all the skills that i'd learned over those eight or nine years or 10 years in australia and it was a great job. It was a great opportunity. I managed to secure my PEP. I became a personal employment pass holder as a foreigner, as an expat. By default, I got a PEP, which gave me five years to do whatever I really wanted to do in Singapore. You know, I had a bit of money in the bank. Um, you know, I, I traveled around Asia. Um, but also, 
I think it was very important to understand that it was time for me to like really try out a number of things, which brought me to Singapore. So I think in, in, in retrospect, that shows from my 20s to 35, 35 to 45, and then 45 to 57. But we haven't talked about the, the Singapore road, which is probably what mm. we should get into at, at, at some point. Jay, what's your reflection of me? Am I, am I crazy? Should I be playing no, the piano? I mean, Absolutely should I be not. still playing concertos? Absolutely Probably. not. Because the thing is that, like you said, you've already closed that door already. You've, you've never given up on it, but it's more of chapters in your life that you're moving forward, isn't it? And at the same time, what I love about this entire story is that you've taken all the skills. Um, and I, I would assume that because of the musical nature that you have and the ability to see across many different instruments and seeing a production as a whole, naturally, there's a gift uh, to do project management. There's lateral thinking ability to be able to connect the dots really easily. So I'm not surprised that sales became an easy, easy sell for you, actually, um, yeah. because you're able to then connect all these pieces. It's no different from that of your orchestral uh, or your understanding of an orchestra, where it's placed, why it's there, when it should come in, at what point does it crescendo? When is your climax moment that you have to be able to close you know, and do that closing statement? So it's the same thing. Anybody who's in sales like myself, uh, I'm in sales as well. So I see sales not as just something that's very technical, but as a form of communication and yes. also, more importantly, as an art form. There's no Absolutely. Mm. I, I yeah. see it like the, the empowerment factor, you know, that we're talking mm. about the, the orchestra and being, being a conductor in some situations. You need to empower your players or else they're not going to perform for you. That's you know, right. Because they're in control of the string section. They're in control of the brass. So you need to empower them in that whole rehearsal process so that when you're up there in the concert, you're conducting away. They, they, they all know what to do, you know? They all know what to do. But you need to empower them. And the same thing applies in this very digital age when we've got teams of editors and interns and dealing with technical developers. I mean, I literally, I sat down this morning and I had to go through a, a scope of work for a new app that I'm bringing to the market, or hopefully bringing to the market should, should happen. Um, but to actually be able to interpret literally hundreds of lines of scope of what every aspect of the user journey and the admin journey and the super admin journey, the merchant's journey, the consumer's journey, the contributor's journey, the experience provider's journey. Like you've got to have it all so clear. Like you should, you know, you need to see it like an orchestra. And I'm, I'm very proud that I can do that. And I don't think it's something that you can learn quickly. You need to put those 10,000 hours in, you know? Yeah, agreed, agreed. Uh, the, the whole sharpening the saw thing, keeping everything uh, really, really precise to the point where when you need it, you can use it, right? And, you know, thanks so much for getting to that. At the same time, now that you're back in, now let's at the, at the point whereby now you're in Singapore already. What was the moment where you went, look, okay, expats, I think I can do something for them because was it because of your own journey and the, the challenges that you had as well that it wasn't going your way? that you said, hey, I think I can open up a community and I can help everybody else, just like a neighbor? It, it's, it's a bit of a loaded question because sometimes things happen in life that are very serendipitous to 
the situation that we find ourselves in. And, you know, the reason why I say that is everything happened because of something. Um, it was like um, I didn't expect it to happen. I didn't plan it to be what it is. But when it was presented to me, it was like an opportunity that was the golden egg uh, to be a business owner, a hundred percent shareholder of a business that was fully incorporated in Singapore. Um, it's a very attractive um, offering, and so the way the way I sort of came into the expat world was I, I did a couple of startups. Um, so after I was with Yellow Pages in in, in Singapore. Because I had my PEB, I thought, you know, I'm going to like spend these five years discovering. You know, like I wanted to get my own, I always wanted to have my own business in digital. And in those days, in 2007, um, it was like I wanted a business online, like you thought online. And I always wanted a website, you know. So funny. Everything's moved so quickly in the last 14 years. Um, but I always wanted to have my own website. So I played around with, you know, different programs, trying to build my own website. But I, 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 that wasn't the way I was hardwired. Which I found it very difficult. So I started to work with other people and we came up with different ideas and, you know, and that was a bit of fun. It was a bit like a hobby, but I had a, a business in SMS marketing and I, my partner, I was 40% owner of the business. My partner, 60%. Um, he was a successful engineering recruiting company and we had the idea of building um, an aggregation platform where we could send out a hundred SMSs in a minute um, to to people and this is like pre-spamming laws um, so we built an SMS platform um, I, I um, managed the uh, we had we had one um, developer who was Sri Lankan who we brought from Sri Lanka we he got an S-Pass, he lived here, he came into the office every day and coded for us. Um, I, I built up the marketing, the communications, the go-to-market strategy, the sales. Then I actually got clients and big, big clients, you know, like Subway and OC and, you know, big, because it was new. It was new. Like we could walk into a boardroom and say, we can deliver 100,000 SMSs for your hot pot in one month. No one else could do it. But of course, once we started doing it, there were like lots of other people, you know, popped up. And so that was a really great couple of years, you know, building that business. But then when the government or, or the powers that be introduced um, the spamming laws, it sort of sort of killed the, the, the marketing side of it because we couldn't really do that anymore. And there were certain um, protocols that, you know, our clients needed to go to their, to, to their users and ask them for permission and, and of course, that's very difficult for a, a brand, um, a, a name brand, to go out to their, you know, five hundred thousand um, users and say, "Oh, can we send you messages on SMS?" So, so that business sort of took a bit of a dive in its in its particular um, uh, in, in its particular framework. But but then I, I I allowed myself to exit that business. I got a little bit of money. Then the business was reinvented and it became an internal system for the recruitment company, which was fantastic. But I learned a huge amount about coding and, you know, about, about how quickly you can change things on a website because I didn't know really anything about that. So I learned all of that when I was doing that business. And out of that came um, a couple of, like, uh, 
very quick opportunities in. I, I started moving towards business process outsourcing and about um, employment and recruiting. And um, you know, I think at the time it was probably the most amount of money I ever made in my life uh, working for business process outsourcing, where I was managing project managing um, a, a Malaysian call center fulfillment of 100 people a week and so there was a lot of money involved and um but it, 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 my heart wasn't in it it was great money but my heart wasn't in it so i just sort of after six months decided okay i've, I've really got to think you know, what, what, what do i want to do now so i actually thought i'm australian i'm living in singapore i've been here for now i think i've been here for four four years i've had a great number of jobs but i had to start thinking about the future start thinking about actually making some more money because I was spending it at a rate of knots and um, and I was living in, in, in Singapore and it was obvious that I was going to stay and I, and I think at the time my my PEP was about to expire so I sort of needed to get a job to stay here or else I would have had to you go back to good old Melbourne town <laughs> I'd be like thanks for the thanks for the memory thanks for the cheese bye so what I did, I was very strategic. Um, I contacted a number of Australian businesses and I introduced myself to their recruitment, their HR. I went and met different Australian companies, like basically for what could I do? I can sell, I can train. I'm very flexible. Um, at the time I was sort of mid forties. So I was probably at a good age. Um, I was almost in a role that was, um, uh, sort of like on, an onboarding type business where you go and sell onboarding, on, onboarding uh, packages to large corporates, you know, multi-million dollar mm. type things. But but again, it was like my heart wasn't really in it and it was like, thank goodness it was, I think, Christmas holidays and they were like, we, we, we're not going to come back to you with an answer until like end of January. And you know what happened? I, I was offered a role at, um, at, at the time at ACP Magazines as a managing editor of a magazine called The Finder, which was a very well-known magazine for 20, 25 years. Um, it still exists in, in a digital form. Um, but at the time, the managing editor who had been there for many, many years, an incredibly wonderful mover and groover, um, she was going on maternity leave. And so they were looking for someone for 12 months. I thought, wow, this would be great. No, I'll private, good pay, getting to work in a publishing company that's Australian-based, ACP. It's got all the other titles with the Cosmopolitan, Harper's Bazaar, Woman's Weekly, you know. And so, you know, I, I applied for the role and I went through a number of interviews and, you know, I'd never really written any words. I'd written music. I'd never sort of written an article or, you know, <laughs> it was quite funny. So, so, so how was, different know, is that now for you? Um well, now it's 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 as easy as pie, you know. Like it's it's second nature. I'm a very strong editor. I have people come to me and and um, ask me to edit their you know dissertations and thesis for you know master's degrees, and you know and, and I know what I'm looking for. I'm, I'm good with grammar, you know, sentence construction. Um, but it's by the by because again, I put those ten thousand hours in. I did the Finder for I think five years, and like that's like. A magazine every month, it's a 120-page magazine, so you've got thousands of words that need to be sub-edited. So you learn your craft. And so, yeah, I was there for like five or six years, and and um, it was an amazing experience. I learned how to be a publisher. I learned what it was like. 
Um, I was also very much on the ground of the development of, of their, their web, their, their, their new web, um, their web solution, digital solution, which is sort of like was the basis of what, what that company is doing now, which is, which is great. I, I love what they're doing. Um, but at the time, um, it was like five years and it's like I really wanted to do my own thing and there was a great opportunity. Um, I was actually sort of approached by another expat. So remember, the Finder was all about expat community. So in, for five years, I went to every art gallery launch, every restaurant launch, every presentation, networking night, breakfasts, I mean, anything you can think of. That was my life. I was the managing editor of an expat magazine. I needed to have my fingers on the pulse. And it was probably appropriate that I'm quite social as well. So I don't mind a couple of glasses of champagne or glass of wine at the social end of the lubricant. day. So, social lubricant. So, of course, my network, you know, grew substantially. And, and so I, I was approached to see if I would consider doing marketing and communications for a very um, successful um, insurance brokerage in Singapore. And um, it was a great transition because SBH had just bought ACP. I wasn't feeling too comfortable in my new role with the new structure, with the SBH structure, which was very different from the ACP structure. Um, I was uh, responsible for my own PL many years ago, whereas when the new form came in, all the departments were broken up. So the, the sense of, um, uh, you know, of, of having the authority to make decisions um, was a lot less. So, yeah, I took up the position in the, in, in the insurance game as marketing communications. And with the marketing and communications, communications was about building a brand for the CEO and the marketing was building um, uh, uh, building awareness for the brand of the insurance company. So I did that for like three or four years. And that was at that time that a group of us um, at the brokerage built expat choice. So that's where it came from. So when I was actually in that roster, by default, I was, I was given options in that business while working for a business. And I, I built expat choice. And then the brokerage was sold um, and uh, after three years to a French company. And at the time, Expat Choice Proprietary Limited was a subsidiary of the other company. Mm -hmm. So the owners of the insurance brokerage said, John, why don't you think about buying our shares out and running with it? Because you're doing such a great job. You love it. It's engaging. Um, and it was going really well. We were you know, creating revenue and, and had lots of community engagement. So I jumped at the chance. And that's actually how it happened. So it happened by default, because if I didn't leave SBH to go to expat choice, I, I don't know, I don't know where I would be now. Maybe back playing piano with the higher. Well, that that isn't a bad job, just you know, it wouldn't be Not as at all. <clears throat> yeah, but I don't think it will be as fulfilling as what you're doing right now, that's for sure. Well, now's now's sort of it's an amazing it's an amazing wheel that is moving and I've got so many different components that every day need to be like oiled and, and cared for, you know? 
that you've gotten so much experience under your belt, your I mean, you've you've got millions of hours, right, of doing so many things right now. I mean, with from thousands and thousands of hours every role, now you've probably got, clocked millions of hours already. The next question is: Do did you ever see yourself, you know, like envisioning that point whereby all of a sudden now? you know, I'm part of a community or I'm spearheading a community, you know, did, did that ever dawn on you? And is that something that you've always wanted to do? I don't think it's always what I wanted to do. But when I go back through the different stages of my careers, you know, I was, you know, on a stage with a spotlight playing the Greek piano concerto at the age of 15. Um, I was a model in my 20s, on, in, in Vogue and, and walking on catwalks to make money while I was a student. I was the teacher in front of the 40 people in the lecture theatre saying, listen to me, because if you listen to me, you'll be a good musician. And I did that for a lot of years. Um, so I was being put on the stage, you know, and you have to perform. You can't just crumple up, you know, you, you have to perform. And I think that the idea of community engagement, and, you know, what, what changed over the years is that, yeah, I, I liked my authority, but I also really was um, thankful that I could empower people around me because everyone needed to do their job. And as you start to realise, you've got photographers doing that and you've got writers doing that and you've got designers doing that and you've got salespeople doing that. Right. What you're really doing is you're engaging everyone to get the end result, mm. to move to the end result, but empowering everyone to do it. I mean, sometimes the relationships break down and the empowerment turns into something ugly, which it happens in all work environments. Yeah. Um, but, but the community, uh, the idea of the community engagement, I think what really changed was when I left uh, ACP, Hacker, SBH, and went to expat insurance brokerage, um, I was really in touch with the community. I was in touch with change, maker, change makers, you know, catalysts for change, innovative business thinkers. I became very involved in uh, webinars, um, participating in um, employee engagement um, management sessions, in my marketing communications role where we really pulled apart what does it mean to engage with our audience? What do we need? And, and so what you start to realise is you need to have ambassadors or you need to have key people of influence. You can't just do it all on your, your own. You've got to sort of find pinnacles, which is leading towards where we're at in this day and age with community managers for businesses because it does start off from you know, like, you know, this is influencers, you know, how to become an influencer. Everybody wants to be an influencer. You know, by default, I'm an influencer. People listen to what John Gordon says. Oh, well, John Gordon says that donut's good. We're going to try those donuts. Mm -hmm. You know, the only time, well, not the only time, but you'll hear when somebody doesn't like the donut. But the thousand times that the people do, you don't need to hear it because you know they're enjoying it. So it's about engaging those people um, that are not so much influencers, but are change makers, catalysts for change, people who want to 
contribute to a wider community on a positive level and not always have to be one to bag something out, one to give a negative review. You know what I say? If it's negative, I'm not really concerned about it. Like, I, I don't need to listen to the negative. I haven't got enough time. There's so much noise on the internet. I don't have time to read all the negative reviews about some new restaurant. I just want to read the good reviews about a new new cafe because I don't have time and I want to cut through the clutter. So I want to listen to people that are contributors. I want to listen to people who are ambassadors. I want to listen to people who are key people of influence in their community. And they don't need to be a foodie. You don't need to be a foodie to enjoy a restaurant. Right. You need to enjoy the atmosphere. So mm -hmm. the people that I have... Um, as contributors on Expat Choice in Singapore, there's a core group of about 20 people and all of them have their own careers. You too could be one of my contributors because you have your own career, you've got your own podcast, and I would want to listen to what you have to say about a certain experience, be it an art gallery, be it a, a spa experience, be it, uh, you know, like a sports experience, be it a food and wine experience. I'd, I'd like to read what you have to say, and I want to make a decision about what you say, not about what an influencer who's a foodie has to say, but that's just my thing, right? Not everyone's like that. Some people love just reading through all the things about the foodies. We've got so many great, you know, great food critics in, in Singapore. But Expat Choice is not about that. Expat Choice is about a community of contributors who are reporting on local experiences and sharing them on the expatchoice.asia network. It's as simple as that. So like, just I'll just repeat that because we are a community of contributors who report on local experiences and share them on expatchoice.asia. So it's like, hang on a minute. We're not like a magazine. We're not like... We're not like, you know, SG Magazine. We're not like Lifestyle Asia. We're not like The Finder Magazine. We're not like Expat Living. We're not. We're a community. And all the content's coming from the community, and people forget that. Like, we do have our own in-house unique content, like 10 best steaks, 20 best donut shops, where to get a milkshake in Singapore, because we need to do that, right? People want that. But 90% of the content is supplied by contributors free of charge. Free of charge. We don't charge anyone to do that. So the model is very different. And, you know, we're still refining the model. We do have a business model, which is based on how we make revenue. Um, and, and some of my uh, mentors and advisors within the choice group um, like John, you've got to make more money, you know. Like you know, it's like it's a different, it's a it's a different model. Right. So it's like once we engage more community contributors, ambassadors, key people of influence, it's only natural that new clients come because what we're doing is building community. Yeah. Now, you mentioned at the start of the podcast something that's really quite interesting for right this very moment. I look day on day because I'm, you know, I. In, in effect, I'm, I'm the, the creator of expat choice. And so I look at, I remember the first day, I went, first week, oh, look, there's like 300 people visited expat choice. And then after a month, it was a thousand and, you know, whatever, whatever. Year on year, 
day to day to yesterday, five o'clock, say six o'clock, it was 145% growth in traffic. Mm. Right? That's phenomenal. And the amount of content that is going through our editors and being published on a day to day basis, it, it's, it's something like, I think it's 90 unique bits of content a month. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, it's like 25 unique pieces of content a week, right? And we're talking a five-day week, right? We're not talking a seven-day week because usually on Saturday and Sunday, we're sort of pretty quiet. Just let the world hum on, you know? So um, essentially, you're looking at like five articles a day. So you're looking at like five articles a day. I mean, some days there's 20 things sitting in the back because mm. you've got people now that are loading content from all over the world. And... We are in 105 cities. We have a presence in 105 cities, which means that if you know expat choice and you go to expat choice in Kampala in Africa, it'll come up as expat choice Kampala and there'll be about 300 things on there and people have joined, when I say things, like 3,000 pieces of information, be it business information or um, uh, accommodation information or whatever it might be. But then you've also got like these evergreen articles about how to fly with children, which is not really a great subject at the moment, right? Mm. But you know how to manage um, how to manage lower back pain. But written by um, a writer who specialises in uh, uh, you know editing a dissertation, and there's a backlink to their business, which is fine. They're giving us the content. We'll do a backlink back to their content, and they might be in London. But that's fine because it's really great for Google algorithms, for SEO, SEM, etc. Mm-hmm. So it's a whole different ball game, you know, the amount of content coming through. And, and we've, we've now got an initiative where we want to really empower the public relations and communication specialists within Asia and slowly but surely make them understand that they need to change. You, know, you can't just create a media release and send it out to the media and expect everyone to give you coverage. You know what, that's all well and good, but we're not SBH. We're not Media Corp. We don't employ lots of people. I don't know how many people work there anymore in those bigger businesses because of the current state of the market, Mm. but there are people there that will format that media release and put a little bit of their own language into it and publish it, but it might take two, three, four, five days to do. What we're doing is empowering the... Uh, the public relations um, executives and managers in their office to literally upload digitally. And so then all our editors need to do is format, put a stand first to introduce the article, maybe edit out a bit of extraneous information that's a little bit too much of a sales pitch um, Mm -hmm. and make it go live. Make Cut out some beautiful images, make some GIF files, maybe even do a video depending on what, what, what contents come in. So now we're dealing with a whole new... Uh, level of contribution from these fabulous public relations companies that write great content. We want them to upload it. We don't want them to edit it. We don't want them to sub-edit. We don't want them to format. We just want them to put it into the back end of the digital environment so it just takes away maybe two people in an office just doing menial work like taking an email and uploading it into a website. It just seems like, hang on a minute, it's 2022 in a couple of months. You know, 
we've got to start looking at different ways of doing things because we don't have the same sort of revenues to spend on support stuff, you know. And the way that it is in our local environment, I mean, to employ someone to do that is going to cost me, you know, $4,000 a month just to convert stuff from, from one environment to another when I can give that power to the source. So engagement and community becomes everyone that's involved in the ecosystem. Because if, if you're a public relations executive working at GastroSense, and they're an amazing PR company. They do incredible uh, 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 content for clients. But, you know, I'm just using them as an example. Why not empower those, those wonderful professional people to, to upload? It takes two minutes. And it's more likely that our editors, who are not all in Singapore, but I have editors in Malaysia, I've got editors in Africa, I've got editors in India, I've got writers in India, I've got digital editors in, a lot in Malaysia. Um, and, you know, in, in Singapore, I have a number of contributors, about 20, but they're not paid positions, but they get to actually do some wonderful things, staycations, incredible meals, experiences. And it's not a, it's not a free-for-all which is going to write positive reviews about it. No, it's not. We don't write reviews. We write articles about experiences. We arrived in the grab. We got out this amazing light lawns and the garden was fantastic. And we went up there. So give the experience. You know, tell us about the experience, not just about the food and the drink. So, I mean, there's a lot of information there, but I think you can see what I'm saying, you know, that we really empower the ecosystem to be our community. And in turn, people know expat choice far beyond if we were pushing it to them through paid marketing on Facebook. We have never, in three and a half years, it was nearly four years, we have never spent one cent on marketing expat choice. It's all been engagement and community. And I believe that. Look, if I had an extra $500,000 three years ago, I probably would have thrown it away. I don't know if there'd be any more people using our platform now than the approach that I took was empower the community empower the ecosystem to take ownership and from what you're saying right uh, do you feel that back in the day right when it came to starting out this thing called community as we know now previously it was just about getting your fans or your followers in that sense but now on the other hand com because the internet space and the digital space is extremely noisy at this point what people in the community are looking for is authenticity 100% real reviews. And again, like what you're saying, it's no longer just about this one key highlight, but it's about the entire ecosystem about and the entire experience and journey. So do you think that um, the marketing of back then, of the way that we actually um, connected with our community, uh, let's just say, for example, it, from the first day you started versus now, how much has that changed over over this time? Okay, I... I... I think when we say started, um, say started expat choice. Expat so choice, in yes. 2018, okay, there was a sort of, sort of 2018 was when we sort of started to really do things with it because we had built an email database. So the way that we connected with our audience from day dot was through email marketing. Mm -hmm. Now, if I was, say, 
a new digital business, I'd probably connect through to an audience that I didn't know through Facebook advertising or Google Google advertising, um, which we didn't take that road. We went very personal because we built a very large database. Whereas today, um, the the engagement comes from three main main areas. Um, now that we've got community managers at the local level, so in Bali, in Tokyo, in Phuket, in Kampala, in, in Africa, um, about to get Dubai, about looks like we're going to have a community manager even in Melbourne, Australia, um, which is a whole other ball game because we're expatchoice.asia, we want to go to myexpatchoice.com and you know, and then, and then it's like, do we lose expat eventually and be, you know, choice, you know, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of planning for the future. But the three areas that we, we, we get the engagement now, as opposed to the one, one area was email. Um, and then people would just accidentally find us on, on the internet. But in the early days, we didn't have much SEO optimization. Well, we, we didn't have organic SEO optimization because we didn't have you know, a stack of content. Whereas now we've got 19,000 articles out there on the internet that are evergreen, they're there forever. And and so we have the, the email marketing line, which is a very active, very fluid, um, it, it's built itself up to just on 50,000 email um, recipients that normally get an email in the morning at about seven o'clock and in the evening about seven o'clock and it's five days a week. And we've gone from one email a week to 10 emails a week, but over a period of nearly four years. And we have little or no unsubscribes. We have very little unsubscribed. So we've got an active audience. And of those 50,000, at least 5,000 of those people every day are opening up. I'm sorry, 10,000 every day. So five in the morning, 5,000 at night. And they're opening up. And, and like anyone on an email, you know, you sort of scroll through and, oh, that looks nice, nice picture. Oh, nice little video file or GIF file, a couple of headlines. You may not even delve any deeper because we like to give enough information to our engaged audience to give them enough to talk about with, oh, did you hear about that, you know, new hamburger joint? Oh, you know, there's a new circus coming to town, you know, whatever it might be. Um, out of context now because there's no circuses coming to town. But this second form of engagement, which I think is probably the most important out of everything is the word of mouth. So it actually goes back to 1990 when word of mouth was the most important form of referral as opposed to traffic that is visiting your website um, like the, the, the tens of thousands of visitors to expat choice on the net that don't know us, don't really want to be there and are not an expat. So their brand experience is like, oh, what, what am I doing here? I'm not an expat. Oh, move, move away straight away. So we don't, we don't want to do you know that mass marketing. Um, we can market, of course, to expats, and we can target as well. But it becomes very expensive, and like the way that we're doing it through word of mouth is those twenty or so people that we've already got in in Singapore, they've all got their own networks. So it's like it's like one person. I mean, I must know. I don't know. Let's be conservative. I know two hundred people in Singapore. I think I know a lot more than that. 
I know 200 people in Singapore that know me and they know expat choice. So I've got another 20 people that they all know 200 people each. So that sort of ends up being, you know, like huge, it's like 4,000 more people that know expat choice who then know people that know expat choice. So our word of mouth community is massive. It, it, it's, it's almost unfathomable to think how deep the word of mouth community in Singapore, Phuket, Bali, Tokyo not so much. Tokyo is a different ball game. Oh, it's a completely. It's a Southeast Asian thing, isn't it? The, the, it? the whole word of mouth thing. It really is very Southeast Asian. It's very word of mouth, and and then of course you get the confusion. Oh, do you know expat choice? It's like, oh yeah, yeah. I, I saw a great article, but it could have been expat living, or it could have been expat.com, or it could have been an expat group on Facebook. So people just, just expat sort something. Expat they something, right? Yeah. So expat has been a great um, tag for our business. Um, and there will always be the expat choice brand. Um, there will always be a place for it. It's now a licensed network. So um, so I, I built a system that allows us to give a longitude and latitude within the back of the, the web browser. And it will be optimized for a 100 kilometer location around any city globally. And it will automatically default to that city. So in turn, we can um, we can make a business model out of that and sell licenses globally. Um, but we had nine licenses ready to sign in um, March 2020. Was that when COVID came? Um, yeah, like in, in the first lockdown, um, had nine contracts ready to go in nine cities. And one by one, they fell over simply because we had this incredible sense of detachment from the world. And people wanted to be attached to expat choice, but we lost that sense of attachment because we were out of control. We had lost control. And like even one of my licensees was Yangon in Myanmar. And I look, now there's a coup, you know, like we can't even expect to to launch in Yangon after doing so much work in, in, in Yangon. But by building this 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 system, what I've done now is I'm giving I'm I'm giving um, giving the locations free of charge for two years because I just want to build community, and I've done my sums and can afford to keep that going for two years, even though my AWS cloud data cost is just going through the roof. But it's a great it's a great way to move forward. So empowering individuals at the local level to build community so that we get this great a great sense of word of mouth happening not in one city but many so give us 12 more months with the expat choice licensee network and then say well maybe in 12 months we'll start charging cities but at the moment we're, we're giving them away and it's and, it, and give them training and understand what you need to do to create engagement and um there's a lot going on. So, so even the, the 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 licensee in Bali, very enthusiastic, but within two weeks has learned everything technical about how to manage the local regional admin tool in in Bali. And I'm like, I'm I'm sort of going online, and I'm like, wow, look at Bali. There's like 150 new articles. You know, like that's really great to have empowered someone and given them. Uh, the opportunity to learn digital marketing and digital admin tools. And in every part of those last couple of weeks of training 
the local community manager, it's like the message is now you need to you need to empower someone else and train someone else. And and this is what's happening now. We've got this whole flow of I train one person, one train train somebody else. So now my interns are training new interns. So I don't have to train the interns anymore. Right. Okay. It's very interesting that you're actually mentioning this because initially the first time I saw the role of a community manager, they they the, the job scope was actually very fixed. It's something of, oh, you manage the list of registrants or the, the list of community members. You continue to engage them based on the, the, the kind of articles that you need to, blah, blah, blah. So, so it's a very top-down approach. But what you're actually saying is that you have your fingers on the pulse all the time. And I love the fact that you're now getting the experience back from what you did as the managing ed- editor at the time, keeping your finger on the pulse, making sure that you know what's going on from the ground and getting... Um, your trusted contributors to be able to give you that feedback, you know, uh, in, in these areas, and that in itself becomes part of the community manager role. So moving forward, I really do think that as we go on, especially in in, in these days and uh, this day and age, digital is one big thing that we have to learn as a community manager. I, I think it's no longer just about knowing how to send emails, understanding the cloud, understanding how to use even things like MailChimp. You know, it's not just that, but you got to learn how to write. You got to learn how to connect. You have to learn how to event organize. You have to learn how to be with people. Have you ever come across a community manager that is so proficient with all the technical skills but couldn't network to save his or her life? You know what? It's such a new kind of phrase. Um, I don't believe that I can off the top of my head say that I've met anyone that has both the hard and soft skills. Mm. Um, and I, it's sort of like where I'm at. I'd probably make a really good community manager. Um, which you I, are a community which manager. I am, which I am, which I am. And, 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 I, <laughs> and, and I, I, I do, I'm the community manager for Expat Choice Singapore. Mm. Um, but I will need to take a step back from that in the very near future because of the development of the digital app product that we're bringing to the market. And, right. and that's, you know, that, that's a huge project and it's, it's not even called expat choice. It's, mm. it's something that's very engaging and it moves on, but I'll, I'll need to concentrate on that project. Right. Um, but, but what does come to mind are the huge amount of marketing people I've met in different companies in insurance, in property, in banking, like, People who are in marketing are extraordinary because they're pulled from pillar to post. One minute they're writing press release, then they're propping images, then they're attending an event and they're spruiking a new book for their CEO, uh, you know, whatever it might be. Um, you know, marketing professionals uh, would make prime candidates to become community managers. But I do believe that the equal balance of soft and hard skills in the community manager role needs to be addressed because a lot of marketers are not necessarily proficient technically. Mm. And I think there needs to be, and there might even be some subsidies in the Singapore uh, system of of training where marketers can upskill their digital skills. Like how do you manage a website? Um, how do you make GIF files? How do you use Magisto to do video? You know, um, how do you do voiceover? So, like, there's, there's a lot of um, sort of hard skills that 
uh, relying on your soft skills as well. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's important that people learn how to do voiceovers and, um, and not necessarily have to be a voiceover artist. Okay. Yeah. So we're moving towards um, 100% video engagement. And if you've just got an image in front of you, as a community manager, you need to take a little bit more time to learn how to use uh, possibly some, uh, some, some video uh, stock video image. Uh, say you're doing an article about wakeboarding, uh, get some really nice wakeboarding images, and you've got some information about five top places to wakeboard in Singapore, just get on a voiceover and go, you know, wakeboarding in Singapore, these are our top five locations, boom, 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 boom. And it could be a two-minute video. And then you put that into a captions editor, and the captions editor does the automatic captions, and you get all that done in 10 minutes. Yep. And then you upload it into your Vimeo or into your YouTube, and then you share the link on wherever. And uh, QR codes, <laughs> what we love so much. What, whatever. But these sort of skills, <laughs> I mean, people are, and, and rightly so, frightened. Mm. frightened by the thought of having to do anything like this. But honestly, if we all gave each other the benefit of the doubt, it, it, it's actually not a, it's not a difficult skill to acquire once you sort of open up to acquiring the skill. Like, it's very important to educate ourselves at every turn. And I'm finding that because I've done all these video files and GIF files and you know, whatever, that I can teach it in a really engaging way. And I think that's the other thing too, like if we're going to be teaching people to be community managers, we need to then have leaders who can teach with an engagement to make them want to be good at both the soft and the hard skill. You know? Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. You definitely want to inspire that kind of energy. Um, but th that's one of the things about community manager role. I've always, something that they don't write in the job description is that you really have to love this community. Some may come across, right, just clicking on that, you know, that, that um, send my resume in, I want to apply for this job or this role purely because of the paycheck and the exposure, but not because they necessarily love the community. I really... I really do think that makes a good, uh, the difference between a good community manager and a great one because a great one is truly invested in that and that person wants to be part of this community is all, all, already sees him or herself as part of this community. And that's super important because if we don't do that, the biggest issue I really think is that you'll be doing things for the sake of doing. You'll be sending things based on the KPI. And my biggest gripe about many... Um, pieces of article or many articles that actually come my way is that when I see it, I know that this was written either based on a sponsored article or it's because uh, this person is only saying it for the sake of saying it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they care about what I would go mm -hmm. through. Am I more budget conscious? Am I more um, conscious about the facade of the place? Or is it really about the experience that I'm looking for? Or is it really because I like the food? The biggest challenge here um, is, is really getting into that, to communicate that and to tell you that, hey, these are the things I'm looking out for. So I love the angle that, that your writers come through mm -hmm. and the ability to be able to put that there as the experience, you know. So that being said, 
the evolution of the community manager now no longer needs to write, but the soft side of things, right? Being able to connect with a person, to be able to write something that appeals to the ever-changing crowd, yeah. to, that appeals to that yeah. particular generation. I, I feel that the the it's really challenging, you know, because yeah. how do you write something that is that that's um, appealing intergenerationally? Okay, there, there is a key. I believe there is a key. Mm. What it is, it's it's about taking ownership. Like if you take ownership of something, nobody else is responsible for you or for what you're producing. Whether you're a community manager, whether you're a doctor, a dentist, a psychologist, you've got to take ownership. This is why professionals are professionals, because they take ownership. They take those 10,000 hours to learn and then they put it into action. They take ownership. So therefore, when you're working in media and when you're either a, a writer, an editor, an intern, how do I empower my interns? I train my interns to take ownership. And what that means is every address, every email, every phone number, every website, every Facebook, every social media link has to be correct. So say the intern is working on editorial, then say they're given a press release. I don't want a whole press release copied and pasted from the source into expat choice. I want the person to take ownership Maybe it's the first, the third, the fifth, the seventh, and the ninth sentence as a starting point. Take ownership of the flow and then add the contact details. Keep it simple. Let's learn it by rote. How do we take ownership of a media release? Because the media release is 100% perfect. But in our house style, it's not appropriate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we need to we put need it to into our house style. Good stuff. Uh, and be it's able to, to, to do your style. What, yeah, and, what works for your community? What works for our community and also what is our voice? Now, the voice of our community is talking to people who are living away from their home country or who have returned to Singapore as a global local. So you're my new audience. The global local is a huge community on expat choice because they want to be connected to the expats that are living locally because they've returned from Australia and they want to know where they hang out or where they're going or what do they like in Singapore because the Singaporean who's the global local has maybe returned after being away for 10 or 12 years and really doesn't know what's going on. But they do, of course they do. But right. in essence, the community of people that we build around expat choice are a like-minded community and that's how we have to talk to them. So in, in the opening of most of the articles, it's like, having lived in Singapore for a number of years, or possibly you've just returned to Singapore, here are our top list of 19 places to go for dim sum on Sunday. You know, and it puts it into perspective. So right. this type of um, taking ownership is very important from the intern to the editor to the digital editor, even to the writers. Like they've got to take ownership and meaning that maybe someone's not going to read this internally before it's published, which shouldn't be the case. But sometimes things get a bit busy and things get published. And because they've already been written by one of my very good writers, and then, and then, it, then it, gets, it gets published knowing that it's, um, there's a sense of ownership about the article. Um, mind you, we do have you know, a stream of command, but sometimes things just get through it's, it's, you know, we, we make mistakes sometimes we make mistakes yeah and you know we're sorry for that yeah 
the, no, the great thing is that you, you are standing by your word, that you are giving them the ownership, you're empowering them. So if, let's say, for example, they, they make the mistake, it, there's no, I mean, honestly, as a business leader, right, I don't think you'll, be, you'll ever put yourself in a position whereby you say that, hey, look, why didn't you run it by me first? It's like, hey, do, boss, you gave me ownership. Like, how can exactly. you do this, right? Exactly. Yeah, so you can't shoot yourself in the foot that way. So I completely respect that as one of the business leaders. And I, I really do appreciate that a lot. And, you know, for any of the marketers who are actually listening, hopefully, and your your idea is that you're no longer going to just be a marketer, for example, or a digital marketer. You're eventually going to become a community manager or be very, very much affiliated to one. Because your emails, your messages are going to have to be crafted with that kind of finesse and that kind yeah. of empathy to be able to keep connecting, be it whether it's a B2B or a B2C. You know, simple things like, say, for example, writing to a Muslim community, for example. The first thing you'd be saying is that, hey, we found this great halal certified this, 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 this. That's the first thing you'd probably want to look into, yeah. right? Because why? That's one of the key things that you got to deal with, right? By and large, when some of the food articles come by or, or you read through, you're like, okay, they have this great steak place. They have this and this and this. There's no mention of pork, but they they don't even mention whether it's halal certified or not. So that's uh, the red flag. It's so, it's it, so, so. It's it, common. It, it, it happens. It, well, it, it actually came up last week because we we published, uh, I can't remember the title, but something like 50 food and restaurant delivery services in Singapore, which is an extensive list, right? It's extensive. Oh, yes. There's a Huge. lot of. A lot of research and hours went into that and a couple of writers worked on it and a couple of editors putting it together. Um, and I, I think it's a work in progress. I think there's 40-something in there now and there'll still be a few more. But, but one of the readers contacted us on, on, on Facebook and said, hey, just, I just wanted to say there's not one that highlights, you know, the halal. And it was like mm. within five minutes, it was in there, right? We are that flexible. It was like, right, get onto it straight away, editor, do some research, make sure it's all qualified, Bang, it was in there. And that, that, that's sort of what, that is what we are. But you're not going to see that happen at a lot of the other publications in Singapore. Like, they'll be very like, these are our five. And if someone says, oh, we should add one, it's got to go through a whole command thing. Whereas with us, if you're registered and you're a community member, bang. And that actually came from a message from, a, from um, somebody on our Facebook group. But you need to join the group. It's not, it wasn't public. So... Anyway, so by the by, the fact of the matter is that we learn from this. So it's a great, uh, honestly speaking, it's it's. I don't think you're the first or the last that will will do that. But but the great thing is, you all changed it within ten minutes or five minutes, right? It's done already. Yep. So that's the Absolutely. great rectification. Um, yep. Like what you mentioned, bigger publishers um, that are or at least traditional publishers, unfortunately, they can't take it back, right? It's not like they're going to have another reprint in two and a half weeks and yep. say that, hey, you know, I'm sorry, we 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 made this mistake with this and that. It's too late. In the age of digital, this is a scary thing. As as quickly as you need to, um, your output has to be as quick as your input, which is mm -hmm. very, very strange though. How can you get quicker and quicker and quicker, right? Um, and, you know, that, that brings us to the next point actually, that in this day and age, attention spans are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. You know, what people are looking for are um, something is quick, something is clean, something is fast and, and it has to be suited to me. Right? It has to be super tailored to me. At the same time, because of that, I feel that we're very disconnected in some ways. You know, and I'm just wondering, 
what can we do as part of the community to still kind of play to that, but still maintain a higher level of engagement? But what's what's exactly, to in your opinion, right, is missing in today's form of engagement or in just engagement in general? I think I think it's important to understand the essence of who we are. I, I don't want to get too deep on this because I'm not the expert, but I feel that as human beings, our generic makeup. Um, insists that we're attached to a family, attached to a community. Having attachment is one of our core generic purposes as human beings. And I feel that what's happened with the uh, pandemic and the returning phases that we're going through is that this sense of attachment has been... uh, challenged by alienation. So we've become alienated um, in, in a sense that we want attachment to our webinars and to our podcasts. We want to be attached and involved, but we become the observer. So therefore we become alienated and therefore we don't feel engaged to be so present within maybe the work environment or within a presentation. Like our presentation here is is there's a sense of attachment, commitment, um, because we're one-on-one talking, one-on-one visually and orally. So my physicality is being um, satisfied with my normal attachment to you, even though you're not in the same room and we're not sitting around in, in, in a cafe talking or in a lounge room. But because we're spending more time now, well, probably all the time online, well, I know I do. I I don't have any uh, sort of face-to-face communications. Um, I mean, you know what I mean, within within reason. Um, The idea of being alienated and becoming non-responsive to what's going on in the digital environment I got on a call the other day. It was actually set up by a PR company. It was for a client launch of a product, which happens quite a lot. Um, And I got on the call and there was no way of knowing how many people were actually in the audience. I like to know, like when I go to a presentation, like you go to the entertainment center and there'd be like 5,000 people. There's a sense of excitement and there's a sense of, purpose and there's a sense of um, attachment to the people around you and you anticipate the anticipation of what's about to happen but then you jump onto these sort of uh, launches or or webinars and it's like okay well I'm I I can see there's a facilitator and there's three guests and three of the windows have got branding and one hasn't because for some reason that person hasn't got it together technically to put the background in, you know, just little things like that. And it's like, oh, okay, well, this is going to be a little bit drab. And then and then it all starts and they're talking to their audience and it's like, but we don't know how many audiences are there. Like, are, are there 30 people? Are there 300 people? And then you get, like, you know, the, the, the after event 
emails saying, we want to thank our 3,500 guests. And it's like, oh, come on, you know, like really, if there was, why didn't you tell us on the day? Um, you know, it, it's all of this stuff which, which is disengaging me to want to do it again. Mm. I don't really want to do it again. I mean, I actually left. I, I didn't have time. I, I mean, I would have had time if I was engaged, mm-hmm. but I wasn't engaged because I didn't know how many people were there. I didn't feel like I was a part of a community. I didn't feel like I was a part of an audience. I wasn't being acknowledged. It was like the people that are watching this podcast on, on, on YouTube or, or whichever environment, you know, they can stream this podcast. You know, the audience that are here, you know, we, we thank you for watching because you are, you know, you are why we are here, right? We are here not just for us to be talking about our professional outlook on soft and hard skills. We want to be here to share our knowledge with our audience, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I need to know in those situations if, 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 if the audience is there and in turn I become alienated from the situation, which in the long term, the more I do and the less amount of professionalism that comes in to a say podcast or work uh, a, a webinar presentation um, or anything that's streamed, um, we need to be like really mindful that we need to remain attached because if we become alienated, it could have a long-term effect on our attitude towards contributing as a professional within our given field. I, I, that, I mean, that's where I feel what's missing um, with engagement. But then when we talk about engagement above and beyond media and, and, and articles and content, you know, like what we do on Expat Choice, but just in the big ecosystem of the digital world, uh, one of the best uh, presentations that I saw, and I'm, I'm not name drawing, but it was like the Australian Professional Speakers Association. And it was like the most magnificently run, I think it went for a week, and you could like jump in or jump out at any stage, and it was all digital, and it was done with so much credibility, so much professionalism, it had engagement. There was no alienation in any way whatsoever. Okay, they're a speakers association, but if they can do it, can't everybody else do it? Can't we invest more in, like, we have community managers. What about digital managers that train us to understand how to set up the environments and make sure everything's working before we go live? Um, in the one I was referring to last week, which was totally disengaging, the, the key speaker actually had to get up and at one stage turned around and we saw her backside. And then her, then her, then her, her husband came in and, the, and it was muted off and it was like all this stuff was going on. It was at that point I left, <laughs> right? Like, and I just felt I sorry. I thought that was the best part. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all going to have a laugh sometime, don't we? But, but it was just yeah. a shame for the client, you know. But, yeah, so I think, you know, we need to... I think what's missing, uh, possibly that may exist, um, is the focus on uh, up, upskilling. Um, we need to all upskill. So in my in my ecosystem, I want my marketing people to upskill. I want my PR people to upskill. I want them to change because you know what? I'm not seeing them change, and everybody else is changing. Right. But I'm really not seeing my public relations 
ecosystem change within the media landscape. Sort of like business as usual, but it's not. It's not business as usual. It's very, very different times. I've had to like cut literally thousands of dollars from my salaries. So the money that I allocate within my budget, I had to like literally cut by 70% last year, which meant a lot of people didn't get as much work, but I had 100% of work and I had to cut 70% of work, not 70% of people. If anything, I've actually increased the amount of people doing work, but they're all getting less money. Mm. But it's better, isn't it better that everyone gets a little bit less than just a couple of people in the pie making the most? Because we've got to like share right. the love as well. So like I've just trained up two new people in India, for example, and they, they're quite young, you know, like 19, 19 18 and 19. Um, but, you know, the one that's nine, 19 is a drummer and he did so much work last week. I, I just did... Um, a, 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 a whatever a reconciliation of, of last month of, of May, and you know, for, for someone living in India, I think he earned four hundred and sixty-eight Singapore dollars, which is like that's a full wage from where he lives in India. Uh, but he did a huge amount of work, you know, which was which was which was great. But you know, we've had to cut back. Things have changed. I don't have an office anymore. I work from my home, which is fantastic because I've got an office upstairs and I've got my living mm. downstairs, so I'm blessed in, in that. Um, but, you know, this this engagement, I think we need to think about upskilling. I think we need to focus on um, the segments within our ecosystem, and I'm in the publishing and media ecosystem, so we've got to look at sales, pub, uh, PR, marketing, um, support. Everyone needs to sort of upskill up yeah. And, and invest time. Invest more time and, and also more thought. I think uh, the, the greatest thing about downtime is the ability to think. Unfortunately, we use downtime in the wrong ways sometimes. But I, I really do think that by upskilling our PR, sales, marketing, um, just in on a strategic level, thinking about how we can actually engage, the, the, the engagement strategy is now very different for, because I was thinking about it on a B2B level, right? Why wouldn't I want to engage them in a different way? Why must I still go with the typical cold call, the traditional email? You know, these are the five ways that we can do this, 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 this. And then you got a hook. And then after that, you've got your closing statement, right? So why do we keep following this, but not going toward what the trends are, which is community? Our clients are a community. Why can't we just look at it that way? We're not a media house. We don't, we're not all a media house. We're not all PR professionals. But that doesn't mean that we can't take a playbook from, uh, sorry, a play from their playbook. Yep. So, you know, strat uh, engagement strategy to me is very, is very straightforward. Find out what they care about and work with that. You know, if the, cl if the customer doesn't want this kind of thing, what can we do rather than thinking the product is this only? but turn it around and see what's best and how can we make this more flexible for that particular client. Yep. So again, it's it's the pros and cons are really there, right? Because the question really is what's missing in today's engagement? To be honest, it's not exactly what's missing, but I think, <laughs> come to think of it, it's, it's where the engagement is moving toward and where yes. we need to catch up to. Yes. You know, uh, everything keeps evolving and, you know, from, from, 
I mean, back then, right? TV, you had to wait a week uh, just for one episode, right? And you'd only catch that every week. But now it's like I could watch the whole thing in a day. The whole season is available now on Netflix or any uh, uh, subscription-based platform out there. I could consume everything within a day as what I would in three months back in the day, right? You want the Yellow Pages, finding a phone number, (laughs) finding a bloody phone number in the traditional Yellow Pages took a long time. I don't even want to know how long anymore. You know, just flipping through the L's, right? For Chinese names, you're going to die already. But fact is, now you just need to Google it in, what, eight seconds. Sorry, in eight seconds, that would be your search your, and, and you're scrolling through and you find everything that you need. Mm-hmm. So everything, the time frames are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. What is it that we need to do to be able to then crystallize our messages so well that now we just hit it right there yeah. on the spot? You know, it's, a, it's uh, that's an interesting, the, interesting, you know, in, interesting metaphor that you bring up because it's okay if you know what you want and you can find it quickly, but when you don't know what you want, it's a nightmare because of the clutter on the internet. You know, you can look up leather bag repair. Oh, right now, actually, it's a case that I, I had to get my very favorite leather bag that I've had for years and something the zipper broke and I needed to get a fix. And I had to find somewhere and, you know, it, it was proof in the pudding that there's so much clutter and there really isn't any way to qualify, oh, there's one here at Vivo City, oh, there's one at Suntech, oh, there's one in East Coast at, you know, wherever, East Coast Plaza or whatever it's mm. called. And um, you really don't know how to qualify that. And so... What I'm feeling about engagement is that uh, we're, we're now starting to get alternatives to Google. Um, I can't even think of the name, uh, but like an alternative to Google Analytics, I should say, um, for marketers, which is great. Different ways of looking at your data and understanding a much deeper level about your data. Um, but I do feel that there's two things that are happening that are very evident. One is um, we still see banner advertising, uh, programmatic banner advertising all over the internet. It's selling us a message. It's selling us a brand, okay? But it's not very good at, like, call to action. Like, we're not clicking on those banners and buttons and towers and overlays. Like, it's just like a billboard. I like to call it, like, we're driving down the highway. Mm. In Singapore, we're not really used to this, but when you travel outside of Singapore, of course, for people that are global locals that have traveled around the world, you're driving up the highway between Melbourne and Sydney and you go past 400 billboards. And every one of those billboards costs tens of thousands of dollars. And what are they selling? They're selling a brand. You're not going to click on it. You're not going to ring it. You're just selling a brand. So there where the, where the engagement comes in is when those brands then spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on content creation. And we start to read articles about uh, uh, leather bag repair. Did we know about the different types of leather, the different leather that comes out in Australia, different types of zips that are made from different types of materials and did we know that this one is affecting the environment and I mean there's so much more than just the leather bag and the zip and this is what brands are investing in and this is why there's this huge um, uptake of uh, content businesses and I'm very passionate about building um, uh, choice content as, as as a content business and I, I look at, I look at expat choice and I say, you know, what, what, what is expat choice? You know, we are, we are 
ideally three things. One, we're sort of like a tech company because we build technical things with a partner. And then we're sort of like a content company. So because we're producing a huge amount of unique um, evergreen content that's going to be on the internet forever, okay? Um, and, and included in that is a lot of video content that for clients, we're creating video content and we're also distributing it across our channels, which is our website, our mobile site, and our social media sites, etc. So then what are they paying for? Are they paying for the creation of the content? Or are they paying for the distribution of the content? So with something like SPH or MediaCorp, they're paying for the distribution of the content because they tend to give the creation of the content for free. It's always been, okay, I want an ad in a magazine. We will create the ad for you free of charge, but you'll pay thousands of dollars to have it in the magazine. We can flip that around, pay thousands of dollars to create the ad and then distribute it free of charge across different mediums. So it's like the way we look at the distribution channels associated with our content, which forms the engagement. So what I like to do is within our current structure, um, have a bit of both where I've got premium high-end clients who are, um, you know, in professional professionals within, you know, what, whatever, whatever segment. I, won't, I don't want to isolate. But, you know, we've got an even mix. We want to have the content marketing. We want very deep content that is going to be evergreen so that when we distribute it across the expat choice network, it will be found across the search environment forever. So it needs to be a relevant um, article that has good SEO. Um, it's been op optimized with um, SEO so that we've got the right keywords, et cetera, et cetera. But then with that, we want to make some videos that have got like engaging captions so that the people that are like on the MRT on their way home can watch the video rather than read it. They might watch the video of all the uh, of, of the images instead of having to read about the, the, the leather bag and we can see the captions that come in. So this form of engagement is top of mind um, for all of us now, whether we're consciously thinking about it or not. So you're more likely to read an article um, that has a great headline and is not of a selling nature. But it's okay to have a backlink to a product, good, or service provider. Okay? So that, that's the other thing. And then the third area, um, of course, for expat choice is community. So we do three things. We do tech, we do content, and we do community. And you hit the nail on the head that all of our customers are our community. So shouldn't we be giving them what they're expecting, and that's good content? So rather than sending someone, hey, can I tell you that your website has got a really low SEO count and our company can make it better for you? How many times do you get an email like that? I mean, if you're... I if just you're, got one this morning. You know, <laughs> and it's like, hang on, how dare you say that to me? Like, I don't even know who you are. Wouldn't it be better like to send me, hi, my name's John, I'm from SEO Optimization Singapore, and here's a great article about 10 things you should know about your website. I'm probably more likely going to click on that, yep. right? So it's just like, how are we engaging with people? People are still sending those lock, stock, barrel sales emails all over the place, yep. trying to create leads. Yep. So yeah, there's there's definitely something in, you know, what's missing out in today's engagement. It's like we're not upskilling, and we're not actually understanding that our clients are our community, and we need to treat them like a family member. And we should be a trusted advisor at every step of the conversation or of the communication. 
They need to be treated with respect and we need to understand that our clients who are our community need to take their own control and be empowered by the information we give them so they can make a buying decision that's qualified. So therefore, I just became the salesperson. But it's so true, it fits in with, with content creation, it fits in with building community. It does, it all comes together. It's, it, it does come together like an orchestrated composition. Yeah, because the core of it is still people. It's still that love for people, that love for connecting with people and making sure that somebody leaves with a smile on their face. I really think that these are the best things, you know, about, I mean, I was previously in tourism. So that, that bit has always been with me to be able to see and, uh, you know, see happy tourists come and happy tourists go, not they're coming here happy. And all of a sudden it's like, ah, this thing sucks. You know, I'm leaving. They took my money, you know, that that's the worst thing that could happen. And really that's on a bad day. You'll see a couple of those things happen because experiences were ruined. But they were so interested to come down because of what they had seen, what they have heard, what they had probably, um, you know, just read somewhere that this was a great experience and we want to try it. But when they actually do it, the disappointment factor is there. And this is the, the last thing that we want. So you've got the planning, you've got the operations, you've got uh, the marketing, and of course, you've got the execution. So, yeah, the proof is in the pudding and you've got to make sure that works. You know, so, you know, this was a great conversation uh, with you, John, uh, regarding engagement. I mean, it's such a big topic. I, I think we could go on for hours and hours and hours, right? Um, so I would suggest that we actually do a part two of this, you know, uh, in the near future. You know, in the meantime, in the meantime, what we always do um, with all our guests, right, uh, on the podcast is that we get to know our guests really quickly over a span of just 10 questions, what we call the Epic Questionnaire. It's a short rapid fire session with uh, 10 questions. And so, John, are you ready for the Epic Questionnaire? Bring it on. All right. Let's go. Question number one. One word that you love the most. Education. Hmm. One word that you dislike the most. Can't. What was that? Cannot. Can't. Oh, cannot. Yes. Okay. Can't. We, can't. We, we, stu- we stumble on that one sometimes. Hmm. Cannot. If you could have it. Oh, okay. If you could have a conversation with one person, fictional or non-fictional, dead or alive, who would that be? Gandhi. Gandhi. Hmm. What do you say to yourself in the mirror every morning? Let's do this. Name one superpower that you like to have. I think I'd like to fly. Hmm, interesting. Favorite dish to eat? Chicken schnitzel. Favorite travel spot or the next travel spot that uh, you'd like to go to once borders open up? Myanmar. Myanmar. Something in the arts that you've always wanted to do but yet to do so. Uh, I've done so much in the art. I don't know. Uh, act, act. I'd love to act. Uh, you, I don't think he I could. Can introduce I don't me to you, so I'll I'll, I'll let him know. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I don't right. know if I could do that. <laughs> well, you modeled, so that's pretty. That's a good start, right? What does retirement look like to you? I don't even know what that means. Okay, that works for me. And last question. How do you want to be remembered? What's your legacy? By the giving nature that I am, 
to be remembered that I was a change maker and hopefully a catalyst for change. And fantastic. Thank you so much, John. Now, that was uh, John Gordon, the founder of Expat Choice and a man with a wealth of knowledge. So I'm very, very happy to be able to share this uh, stage with John. Of course, I'm, I'm definitely filled with gratitude uh, that he's okay. being able to uh, spend this amount of time with you, with me and with everybody else. And that's you, whoever's watching and listening out there. Thank you so much. And a big thank you to John as well. Now, uh, ladies and gentlemen, remember you can go over down to uh, expatchoice.asia to go have a look at what they have to offer. And you'll be able to find amazing articles and great contributions over there as well. And uh, for the rest of you, also do me a favor, hit that you know, like, comment, and subscribe button over there on YouTube or follow us on Spotify as well. Now, with that, that is the Epic Podcast for this week with John Gordon from Expat Choice and me, Edric. I will see you next week. Bye. <laughs>